What's up, Ryan? What's going on? How's it going? It's going you well, look, man. Busy, you look busy. you look stressed or busy or or <laughs> something, yeah. Well, I mean, I feel like I've been in a in a constant state of stressed slash tired for yeah. 12, twelve months or so now. That's crazy. Well, let's introduce you first. So, um, your name's Ryan Wagner, right? We know each other because because we work together. Um, yep. But you're a very interesting guy, right? So you are the <laughs> brand ambassador for for Guinness, uh, the Guinness location in Baltimore, right? I'm sure I'm butchering that, but you're gonna you're gonna correct me here in a second. Um, and in yeah, addition to the, that, uh, good. Oh no, I was gonna say national ambassador for the Guinness Open Gate Brewery. So yeah, it's located here in Baltimore, but um, it has national impacts in terms of the beer we sell. So uh, my reach is uh, across the nation in some respects, but focused here in Baltimore. Gotcha. And then aside from that, if that wasn't cool enough, you are also the PA announcer for our beloved Orioles. Yep, that is true. Going on uh, season number 10 upcoming here in 2021. So you've been doing it for 10 years? This will be really? year number 10. Yeah. Yep. That's took cool. over Starting April you were 12? <laughs> took over March, of, uh, March, April of 2012. And so this will be the 10th season. How did you, how'd you land that job? Uh, it's kind of a, you know, it's a combination of luck, uh, pure dumb luck and um, yeah. kind of kismet. You know, it was, I had worked the year before in 2011. Uh, it started my career as a, as a musical theater actor and was touring the country with a, a Broadway production of The Wizard of Oz and got hired while I was still on the road to uh, be one of the two hosts of a project for Major League Baseball called the MLB Fan Cave. And that was in New York in 2011. It went on for a couple of seasons, but myself and a guy named Mike O'Hara were the first co-hosts of that project in New York. And when that season ended, um, my theater career had been put on pause because of what was going on with baseball. And uh, I hadn't been home in years here in Baltimore. I'm a Baltimore native. And so I decided uh, to go home for a little while and check in with family and, and just kind of reset the batteries and see what, what my next project was going to be. And it just so happened that that winter, the Orioles lost uh, the man who had been their public address announcer for 14 years prior to that. And Prior to him was Rex Barney, you know, a guy that is a celebrity for most people mm -hmm. my age who were kids coming up at Oriole Park, uh, but really kind of an Oriole celebrity for, for most people. Uh, and he had held the job for 26 years. So when it came available in 2012, it was only the second time in 40 years uh, that that job was, was available. And it just so happened that I had, A, just moved back to Baltimore, and B, had just left a job working for Major League Baseball. So uh, I got... Uh, somebody posted on my Facebook wall of all things that the Orioles were making it a public competition essentially. And so I submitted a resume and an audition tape. I think it may have actually been a tape. That's how long ago it was. Um, but uh, I auditioned and, and I think one of the things that maybe I at least helped draw some attention to my, my submission was that I'd been, you know, all over baseball, social media and TV and MLB network and MLB.com and all those things for the 12 months prior and uh, I had the benefit of being very good friends with uh, the guy who was at that point vice president of business for baseball, a guy named Tim Brosnan. Nice. And so I think walking in with that as your reference uh, maybe gave me a little bit of a, a leg up. But it was a pretty arduous audition process. You know, it was uh, right around 700 people that applied. Uh, I went through two in-person auditions, a bunch of different interviews. And uh, right around Valentine's Day of 2012, I got the call that, uh, that they had selected me. And that opening day in 2012 was going to be my first game. Do you remember what, what you had to do for your audition tape? Do you, did you have to do a call or, or fake announce lineups or something? 
Yeah, it was something similar to that. You know, it was a it was a lineup, uh, a couple names on the lineup, but then also, you know, a lot of what I do at the ballpark uh, prior to last year was advertisements and, uh, you know, different sponsors for different features that happened during the games. Last year, you know, no fans, so we didn't need to do any of that stuff. Right. Uh, but what I always remember about the, I think it was the second in-person audition that I did, uh, they did it from one of the radio booths, one of the broadcast booths, and you were by yourself and you went in and you put a headset on. And my setup at the ballpark is in the press box, which was pretty standard across baseball forever. But then as people started building new ballparks, they would build sort of a soundproof booth into the production booth area of their ballpark for their in-game production team. Uh, so me being in the press box is kind of an old school thing that not many PA announcers still get to take advantage of. I love it because I'm open to the elements and kind of kind of feed yeah, off of the, cool. the energy of the stadium. But what I remember about that audition was because it was in one of the radio booths, it was just a tiny little room and it was open to the ballpark, but it was in January. And so it was freezing cold and the wind was blowing in and there was snow kind of, you know, whistling about. And I remember vividly sitting down and thinking, I probably wouldn't get the job, but it would be really fun to sit down here and just go, uh, good evening, ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Lambeau Field. Uh, because it, was, <laughs> it looked miserable outside. Uh, but yeah, then everybody kind of got in your head. Wait, did you really say that? I didn't. Oh, I thought okay. about it briefly. <laughs> I don't think I'd be sitting here talking to you guys about the shop <laughs> okay. if I had. Um, part of uh, part of the, the responsibility, and you know, people. One of the things I get asked all the time is, you know, can you just say anything you want? And I was like, well, yeah, I can say anything I want once. One time, oh, yeah, I, get, right. I, get, I get one chance at that, uh, so I'm saving it for something good. But yeah, I mean, the audition <laughs> process was uh, the audition process was pretty straightforward. You know, it was uh, nice. I, I, having a background in theater. I'd been auditioning my whole life. And so there was no real nerves for me walking into that situation. And I think that gave me a leg up because a lot of people that had been applying for it may not have necessarily been used to that sort of atmosphere. Yeah. So I feel like you didn't put the theater background on our little information sheet that we our sent you ahead of time. I, I feel like I know that's my fault because I, I think I knew that because <laughs> I, I most of these questions, I feel like I've asked you already. Like, you know, I yeah. got the background. We were working together. Um, I don't I don't want to skip too far, but yeah. I, I do think that not a lot yeah. of people we talked to have been on Broadway. Can you? Can you dive into that a bit? Like, what was that? Yeah, like? Neither have I. I got real close. I okay. got just off Broadway, um, but I did Broadway national tours, which yeah, is if this is too one, sensitive. One, I... yeah, yeah, it's, <laughs> that's why I don't bring it. No, it's uh, <laughs> so, there's sort of a, a natural progression. And if you if you put it, use kind of a sports metaphor, it's kind of like, you know, minor leagues and then you make it to triple A and then you eventually get to the big leagues. And so I would say that my theater career, I was probably somewhere between double A AA and triple A. I got close, uh, but I went to school for it. I went to Frostburg out in Western Maryland. And uh, got a theater degree, um, focus in acting, directing, and production. And when I moved to New York right after college, uh, it was on the heels of two really successful auditions that I had done as a college senior, where I went to New York and auditioned for a couple of theater companies and made it to the last you know, one or two people for, for specific roles. And I didn't book any of them, but it gave me enough confidence to think like, okay, maybe I could do this. Maybe this right. could be a career. Interesting, yeah. And uh, I moved to New York right after I graduated college uh, that fall. And uh, started booking jobs uh, pretty quickly, which was very fortunate. I, I fit a very unique niche in the theater community, uh, especially at that time. I was a young guy, you know, 22 years old, 23 years old, but I was, you know, 6'2", 240 pounds, could sing really well, could grow a big beard. And so I kind of, I fit into a very specific kind of niche. And uh, because of that, uh, when I went to audition, unlike, you know, the, the work, uh, I mean, it's, it's brutal, you know, the things that... Um, you know, chorus women or chorus men, uh, leading men, leading women, those kind of people, they show up to an audition and there's 75 people that look just like them. 
I had sort of the, the good fortune of being a very unique fit. And so when I showed up to an audition, it was for very specific roles and there may have only been a handful of people that were doing the same thing. Uh, so I started working pretty early uh, doing what's called um, uh, regional theater. So working in places like New Jersey, Tennessee, uh, Indiana, Ohio, and then progressed up a little bit, eventually booking a um, uh, booking the national tour. And so that was sort of my next big step up. I had done some off-Broadway work, but that national tour I did for two years, uh, performed the show over 500 times. We went to 46 states and almost every province in Canada. Um, it was an incredible way to see the country. It was, a, it was an unbelievable, uh, unbelievable time for two years. And then to book the MLB thing right after that and then right into the Orioles job, I had a very blessed uh, handful of years there. Ryan, which show was that? It was the Wizard of Oz. You may have heard oh, of it. Oh, sorry. Yeah, yeah. Tiny little <laughs> yeah. off Broadway. That's funny. Yeah. What, what role were you? Uh, so I, I filled a couple of roles. I was Uncle Henry and the Emerald City Osgard, the, sure. the horse of oh, a different color funny. guy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, which is great because uh, in the movie, what most people may not, they may not know this, uh, is the gentleman that plays the wizard who had uh, second billing just under Judy Garland because he was the biggest of the stars in that movie, aside from Judy Garland at the time. Uh, he plays everybody that they interact with in Oz because he's covering for himself as the huh. wizard. Most people uh, think it's multiple characters, right, but yeah. he's got like multiple levels of security so nobody finds out he's a fraud. And unfortunately, because of the way the, sh the, the stage show works, you can't double that role. Right. And so I got to play that role. But then I, I would say that arguably more importantly, I was the understudy for the Cowardly Lion because that's such a demanding role mm -hmm. and it's such a physical role uh, that I went on, uh, goodness, in the 500 shows, probably, I don't know, 100 times, Jeez. 80 times. I mean, it was, it was pretty significant because it's just such a, you, you basically for, for two and a half hours are living inside of a sofa bed um it's, uh, it's it's pretty it's pretty crazy and pretty grueling i mean if you got into a hotter venue where the air conditioning maybe wasn't working as well as it should uh it was not unheard of to lose five or six pounds over the course of a show that's amazing that's awesome yeah i didn't mean to go down this like no it's interesting uh, yeah, yeah that's really yeah, cool. those, those are all details I've lived, a, I've lived a very unique life oh, it yeah. sounds like it um so going back to the being the pa announcer and then i we definitely want to get into the guinness stuff um so like do you ever get like uh like are you you know low-key baltimore famous because of your voice uh you know it's funny when quincy you know my wife amy yeah. uh amy and i met we met in at the end of 2012 early 2013 so it was i had just finished my first year uh behind the mic for the orioles and i was probably feeling myself a little bit you know <laughs> you can't give a 26 year old kid that much you know that right. much responsibility but uh, she swears up and down. I used to tell a joke, and it's kind of similar to what you just mentioned, where I would call myself an L-list celebrity in Baltimore, right. not even making the top you know, 10 letters or whatever right. it is. She swears up and down that I referred to myself as a B-list celebrity, which I would have never done. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I mean, I probably, my voice will get me recognized, quote unquote, for lack of a better way to put it, uh, maybe two or three times a year. It's not often. It takes a right. very, I'll say, unique person to, yeah. to be able to sit next to me at a bar or, or sit next to me at a restaurant or whatever Wait it is and minute. say, Hey, I, yeah, I know your voice, <laughs> um, but it does happen. And I think the most recent example, we worked with a company, uh, what, six or eight months ago. Uh, we took a couple of, we brought a couple of companies in to give us a quote on replacing our doors, which I actually talked to Quincy about when we were doing yeah, that. Yeah. And uh, one of the guys that came in, 
when we sat down to go over what they could offer and what the quotes were, he asked me weird. He was like very odd. And he was like, so beautiful day out there for a ball game. I wish the ballpark was open. And I was like, yeah, yeah, it's great out there. He's like, yeah, I love Oriole Park. And just got kept hammering away right, at this thing. Yeah. So finally I was like, well, you know, it's funny. I, I'm, I'm actually the announcer at, at Oriole Park. And he looked at me and was like, I saw it said Ryan Wagner. I didn't know if it was really you. And I was like, this isn't <laughs> um, And then he gave us the most expensive quote on the doors. Yeah. <laughs> no hilarious. discount for being yeah. famous, huh? No, he's a Red Sox fan. No, yeah, luckily, luckily, didn't have, luckily, I didn't have to work with him. So That's funny. Do you, do you ever get asked to make a call like if somebody recognizes you do they ask you to announce the starting lineup like you're about um, to like i'm about to right. no what, what i what i get more often is can you record my outgoing voicemail <laughs> um can you, right. can you can you officiate our wedding mm. which is which is a big one i've never actually done it because i every time somebody asks me that i'm like it should be somebody really really important to you that does that right um and i don't want to i don't think i just met you bro <laughs> um, I, um, uh, yeah, I mean, occasionally people, I, I will tell you the, the biggest, you know, sort of gimmick, I guess, or, or the biggest iconic thing that I had for a while was JJ Hardy, the shortstop for the Orioles from a few years ago. I kind of dumb lucked into a very unique way to say his name and call his name, uh, which it's really simple. There was just a big pause in between the first J and the second J, but it became something that the fans started latching onto and doing with me as I did it at the ballpark. Uh, which was really neat. Um, and it helps that JJ was just, you know, the best of the best when it comes yeah, to just right. being a human being and a great guy. And he actually, uh, one of my, probably my favorite Orioles memory, I think. Uh, I got to, uh, one of my very dear friends is the head of PR for the Orioles and brought me down to the clubhouse, just outside the clubhouse, when it was very clear. Uh, it was like the last game of the season or second to last game of the season. It was pretty clear. The writing was on the wall that JJ wasn't going to be back. Right. And uh, a couple of days before I'd been talking to Jim and he mentioned, you know, the JJ Hardy thing and was I bummed? And I was like, yeah. And you know, what's crazy. I don't even know if JJ likes it. Like I've never met him. I've never, you know, I never have had to deal with him aside from like some little one-on-one things that we didn't really get to talk about that. And so he called me a couple of days later and he said, Hey, are you at the ballpark? I said, yeah. And he said, can you come down to the clubhouse? And I went down to the clubhouse, which is not something that I ever do. And uh, Jim came out with JJ and JJ shook my hand and said, hey, man, you know, it's meant a lot. I appreciate it. And he shared with me that uh, there have been so many people that have come up to him, you know, at the ballpark, you know, at the grocery store, whatever it is, and have said that he is their kid's favorite player just because they get to say his name at the ballpark all That's the awesome. time. Uh, so for a guy that, you know, JJ was a he was an Oriole celebrity, multiple gold glove winner, just kind right. of one of those guys. He's never going to make the Hall of Fame. He's not going to, you know, he's not going to do anything like that. But uh he felt like a hall of famer in part in Baltimore because there was something unique tied to the way that I announced his name. Right. Uh, so that was pretty cool. That's can awesome. We, man. Can we hear it? Can you do it for our fans? That's, you know, what's funny. Whenever people ask me to do these things, <laughs> I I'm very boring. You know, my, my, my goal when I took this job, because Oriole park is such a throwback, you know, it's just kind of an old school ballpark. Right. And I look at guys like Bob Shepard, uh, who was, the dean of sort of public address announcers. He's a god among the small community that are public address announcers. He was the Yankees PA announcer from 1955 until 2009, um, just forever. And he did it for, uh, he was 100 years old, I think, when he did his last game. Uh, just an epically long run. Um, he was the guy that if, if anybody out there is a baseball fan or if you're a Yankees fan in particular, it's the number two, Derek Cheetah. Like, the, it's the, the whole thing. <laughs> 
And so, but he's very, there's nothing flashy about the man. And I mean right. that in a good way. He's just, here's the information, take it or leave it. And so you've got a lot of guys around baseball and particularly when you look at basketball and hockey and, and those sort of sports, you know, it's that number 34, Bryce Harper and like do the whole thing. And for me, it's never been about that. Uh, I've always considered myself to be uh, an important part of the game only in that I give people information that they need to pay attention to what's going on. Right. Uh, so if somebody like Hardy was coming up. It was always uh, now batting shortstop number two, J J Hardy. Like it's just very really yeah. <laughs> not a lot. I mean, I'll, I'll put a little bit more energy and a little bit more right. intention behind the Orioles names. Um, but I also am not going to be somebody that just throws away the names of the other guys because these are major league ball players. You know, they've right. worked their entire lives. Um, one of, I, I got a really amazing note from a guy who made his major league debut with the, I think it was either the Rays or the Blue Jays, whose name was Luke Maley. And Luke Maley was, uh, he's a catcher. He's still playing ball, but he was from Frederick, Maryland. And so his major league debut happened to be in Baltimore and he had like a hundred people, you know, family and friends and everything else. And uh, my most, in my opinion, my most important job is announcing major league debuts. That's the one time in that guy's life that's going to happen. They've worked their entire lives to get to that point. And so taking a cue from Bob Shepard, whenever something very important is happening and, and big league debuts are one of them, I'll start my announcement with your attention, please, ladies and gentlemen. And if you've been to enough Oreo games, you know that if I say that, whatever's coming next is pretty damn important. Uh, and so your attention, please, ladies and gentlemen, now batting for the Orioles or now batting for the Blue Jays and making his major league debut. That's awesome. Uh, it's this person. And so I got a letter from Luke Maley the next day uh, thanking me, handwritten note, you know, thanking me for uh, for announcing it the way that I did and for drawing attention to it because it meant so much to his family and to his friends. Um, I kept my fingers crossed that, that guy was going to hit 900 home runs and be the best player ever. Uh, I, <laughs> All due respect to Luke, I don't know if it's going to happen. Hell of a nice guy, <laughs> really good ball player. Yeah. Look, everybody that makes the major leagues is, is the best ball player ever right. um, at some point in their lives. But uh, I'm still going to hold on to that note because the sentimental value sentimental value is uh, is big for me. That's yeah, and he's funny. never going to forget you either. Right. I think that's that's really cool the way you look at it. Like you are not an unimportant part of the day, but for the most part, if you blend into the background and just announce the players' names, you have a job for the whole season. But making this guy's, yeah. you made his entire career. He's going to remember that. You know? Yeah, they're, they're, that's a big one. And, and then the other one is getting names correct. You know, I, I think that, that it sounds really simple. But um, in particular, I think about living in a world where we are finally now, in, in my opinion, starting to understand that everyone is, is valuable and everyone is important right. and everyone's culture and heritage is not only something that is important, but should be celebrated. And so when I think back to, you know, the fifties and sixties and seventies, there probably was not a whole lot of attention paid to the correct way to pronounce uh, ballplayers from Latin America or uh, unique backgrounds of, of players of, you know, European descent of African descent, whatever the case may be a, a Hawaiian, you know, descent and having a very important family name. And so I've always worked very hard to make sure that I knew the exact way that that guy's name wanted to be pronounced because I could guess if you really want me to, but why should I? I mean, this is, again, right. these guys have worked so hard. The last thing they need is some nobody up in a booth screwing their name up. And that was it. That actually hit home in a, in a really interesting way for me too because I was uh, my first spring training. They brought me down in 2012 to announce a couple of games at Ed Smith Stadium in Sarasota. And um, – <laughs> 
spring training, the, the, the first game being a spring training game was the stupidest thing anybody ever did. <laughs> because when you do an actual game, there might be, you know, a handful of changes, one, you know, one change here, a new pitcher coming in, maybe a defensive replacement. But if you've ever watched the spring training game, you know that there are certain uh, times when you've got 35 things that have all changed at the same time. Uh, they've changed out their whole outfield. They've changed out their whole infield, whatever the case may be. And so that was my first game. And I was, I was, you know, I was a deer in the headlights. And I had just gotten through a bunch of defensive changes. And there was an Oriole, uh, very briefly, he was a minor league outfielder and played at the big league level for a little while, whose name was Xavier Avery. And Xavier was a perfectly nice guy, but he was in his first spring training that year and was standing in the on-deck circle. And after announcing all these other changes, they were like, oh, Ryan, this is Xavier Avery. He's going to bat now. And I was like, oh, God, I got to announce this too. So I started calling him up to the plate. And for any college basketball fans out there, this was a year, 2012, when Kentucky was doing very well. It was March. So my brain was already thinking college basketball. And Kentucky's best player that year was a guy named Xavier Henry. Oh, no. And I announced Xavier Avery as Xavier Henry. And I'll never forget it. Ed Smith Stadium and most, you know, spring training and or minor league stadiums are much closer. Right. Everything's much closer. And so he, you couldn't like, I couldn't reach out and touch the guy, but he could look up and see very clearly who I was <laughs> and where I was. And so walking up to the plate, I'm like, now batting for the Orioles, pinch hitting, number 70, Xavier Henry. He stopped, looked up at me and just went, <laughs> like, like i'm a no i'm a no-name guy just trying to make my mark here and you can't even get my damn name right right um and it was very I'll, and that was sort of that was a great trial by fire because i felt this big in that moment and uh i was like okay you know what from here on out i'm gonna get every name right That's and funny, man. Uh, who do you go to for that like the if the opposing team has a name like who gives you the phonetic pronunciation of yeah so it's uh it's a combination of things but uh <laughs> Not to tell you another story, but one of my other favorite stories, uh, again, when I was a kid, Rex Barney was was the guy, right? You, you know, uh, give that fan a contract and thank you and all that stuff. Like, I grew up listening to his radio show and I wanted to be him even as a little kid, which is kind of weird that I'm in this position now. But right. uh, what I remember is uh, is when I got the job, I went digging through my old stuff, like boxes of things that I had in my mother's basement, looking for a book that he had written uh, with a ghostwriter, I forget who the ghostwriter was, but he had written basically an autobiography. And uh, Rex Barney was an interesting character. He, he played professional baseball and was a pitcher for the Brooklyn Dodgers in the 40s and 50s. But because of that, when he became a public address announcer, he knew most of the coaches and most of the managers and most of the baseball people because he had come up in the game. And so he mentions in this book, and I read it right before I started the job with the Orioles, because like, I'm going to do everything like Rex Barney. That's my inspiration. He had mentioned that, oh, if I don't know a name, if I don't know how to pronounce a guy's name, I go down to the clubhouse, walk right in, introduce myself. How are you, young man? I'm Rex Barney. How do you say your name? And in my mind, I'm thinking, that's cool as hell. I'm going to walk right into the clubhouse. How you doing, Josh Hamilton? My name's Ryan Wagner. Nice to meet you, Mike Trout. Is that the right way to say that name? And so my first day at Oreo Park, opening day 2012, I was sitting with a guy named Jeff Lance. And Jeff was the PR, uh, one of the PR guys for the Orioles back then, has since moved on to minor league baseball. Uh, as head of PR for minor league baseball. But I remember looking at Jeff and I'm super excited. You know, it's my first game. I'm like wound as tight as a, as a, as a, uh, as a spring. And I look at Jeff and I was like, you know what I'm most excited about Jeff? I've read in Rex Barney's book. If I don't know a guy's name, I'm going to go right down to the clubhouse, walk in, just ask the guy how to pronounce his name. I can't wait to do that. And Jeff looks at me and goes, don't you ever go in that clubhouse. <laughs> 
<laughs> and I was like, oh, okay, I guess that's not the way it works. So, uh, so yeah, the, the way typically I'll work with through the PR, um, the PR for the other team. I know a lot of those guys now after 10 years in the league. Um, but a lot of the teams are now starting to realize that uh, the digital world is at their disposal. And so I'll tell you, the uh, I think it's the Rays are one of my favorites uh, because they have a website that's closed to the part of their website where you can go and click on a guy's name and there's an audio recording of him saying his own name, awesome. which is you would never perfect. Yeah. 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 It was, it's so perfect. And I mean, especially again, when you get into some of these names that are very unique and it's not sure. limited to people from Latin America. I mean, there are some right. Anglo-Saxon names out there that I'm like, why are there so many vowels? Right. Um, but so you, you start to get some of these names and I think that's critically important because the way that people spell phonetically, unfortunately, I know the actual phonetic alphabet, part of theater training, part of breaking down a mm -hmm. script. But the way that a lot of teams do it is different from each other. And so I remember uh, early on, one of the interactions I had was with a player uh, whose name is Rajay Davis. And Rajay Davis was a World Series hero for the Indians a couple years ago, uh, outfielder. But his name is spelled R-A-J-A-I. And even just watching baseball as a fan, I had heard it Rajay, Rajay, Ray J. Like you hear all kinds of things. And I went to the PR head of the team that he was playing for at the time because the phonetic guide had it as R-A-W-J-A-Y, which is raw J. And I'd never heard that before. And so I went up to this, this guy that worked for the PR, uh, worked PR for that team. And I said, I just wanted to double check with you because I've never heard it pronounced this way. This says raw J. And he looked at me and said, yeah, raw J. And I said, okay, this is raw J. And he's like, right, raw J. And I said, okay, here's the thing, man. We're saying two different things right now. And he looked at me and said, I have no idea what you're talking about. And I was like, okay, thanks very much. Yeah, cool. we appreciate it. Roger. So yep, having, yeah. Having, having teams like the Rays, and they're not alone in this. There's been a couple of teams that have done it, but the Rays are the one we see them 18 times a year. So it just right. jumps out in my mind. Um, but that website is so cool because you can just go in and get the exact pronunciation of things. Um, there was a, a, a Japanese born player uh, who was on their team last year named Yoshi Tsutsugo. But his first name is actually Yoshitomo, but he shortened it to Yoshi, but the file uses his full first name. He says his whole first name. And I was so stoked, man. I'm like, that's a badass name. I can't wait to say that. <laughs> and then when I saw the lineup come out, it said just Yoshi. And I looked at the PR guy for the Rays. I was like, it's not Yoshitomo? And he was like, nah, he just goes by Yoshi now. And I was like, oh, man, come on. <laughs> like, that was That's going to be a good one. Um, and we all have our favorite names. I mean, that's the other thing. Like, you... There's, again, a great Bob Shepard story uh, with the Yankees where somebody in an interview late, you know, later in, in Shepard's life asked him uh, if he had a favorite name out of the 50 years of baseball that he had announced if there was one name that he liked saying more than others. And it just so happened that Shepard's first game as Yankees PA announcer was the first game of Mickey Mantle's career. Whoa. And so that it was this very emotional response. And it's, it's great that it's, it's a great name because it's alliterative and there's great sounds there. Right. But he said, you know, in all my years as Yankees public address announcer, my favorite name I ever announced was center fielder number seven, Mickey Mantle. Right. It's this great story. And this guy, whoever was doing this interview or this woman, in the history of follow-up questions, this one wins because the follow-up question was, just out of curiosity, what's your second favorite name? <laughs> <laughs> Without missing a beat, Shepard goes, my favorite, my second favorite name was starting pitcher Shigatoshi Hasagawa, <laughs> right? Because he just liked the way it sounded. Like right. the first one was this amazing story and like connection to Mickey Mantle. And that's my favorite player. And the second name is like, it just sounds fun. Sounds I just like cool. saying it. 
that's is, super which fun. is pretty that's that's pretty cool across pa announcers we have yeah. like our sentiment but then we have names that we just like saying that's funny um so ryan i mean all these great stories what how, i mean how was this past season for you uh it was uh difficult yeah you know it was challenging it was uh i like i mentioned earlier sitting in the press box and being open to the elements you feed off the energy of the crowd at right. least i do um and i you know orioles fans are extremely passionate uh mm -hmm. they know the game uh so it's not hard to lock into to their passion because they're as engaged in the game as anybody um but i'll also say that unfortunately uh extremely unfortunately i was probably the only public address announcer in baseball that had had uh limited experience with a stadium with no fans mm. uh, because we had the game a few years ago during uh, the Freddie Gray uh, right. yeah, social yeah. uprising right. yeah. where there were no fans. And so I, I uh, unfortunately knew what that was, sort of knew what, what to expect, what that was going to look like. Um, but yeah, I mean, you know, I'm a public address announcer. I need a public. Um, otherwise, I'm just an A announcer. Right. Uh, so it's, uh, it's, it's challenging. And you know, I, the other thing is that all baseball fields are the same. 90 feet between the bases, foul lines, you know, big green area in, in the outfield, some dirt on the infield. That's for the players. That's for the game. The stadium is for the fans. And so to see one of our amazing, iconic stadiums in baseball and really in sports, um, to see it empty uh, was just, it was, it was, you know, frustrating and disappointing. But within that, you also understand that we needed to be safe and we needed to follow, right. you know, the advice of the, of the health officials that were trying to keep everybody as safe as they could. So, you know, you, you take it with a grain of salt. I try to keep my energy up for the ball players, for the guys on the field. I, I don't know that, you know, these guys making millions of dollars and having played this game their whole lives necessarily need me giving them uh, right. energy. Uh, but it was it was um, I felt a responsibility to still provide that same experience, even if it was just for those guys. That's awesome. I mean, just the dedication to show up still at each game um, and you do your job, even though it's just going to be a, a whole a whole different world, you know. What's, um? Yeah. I mean, do you have an idea what, what this spring's going to look like? Uh, no. You know, it's, uh, we, we are, um, I would say that we don't necessarily need to, uh, the you know, the team that I work on, the productions team, we, right. we're kind of a press play and go. You know, it's, it, we don't, so I think that there are bigger fish to fry for, sure. for the Orioles and for Major League Baseball. But um, it's good to see baseball being played again in Florida right. um, you know, with fans in the stands. I hope everybody is being as safe as they can mm -hmm. and, and practicing distancing and all that. But um, it's good to see baseball being played again. You know, I've always had a very uh, a deep kind of um, emotional connection to the game uh, through family and through growing up here in Baltimore. But also, you know, I, I, I always associate and I think a lot of people do baseball with rebirth and with the return of warm warm temperatures mm -hmm. and sunshine totally, and, yeah. um and so i think this year more than any other you know the the shutdown last year it's hard to believe it's been almost a year i mean we shut down here at guinness march 13th uh and so baseball never really got a chance to get going and then when it did right. we were already in the throes of of uh complete shutdown um i saw a meme the other day that said you know we're getting ready to celebrate the one-year anniversary of our two-week shutdown uh, <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> really disappointing um but this year, I think more than any year I can remember, the return of baseball was greeted with a, a sense of, again, renewal, right. um, feeling like, you know, maybe, just maybe, if everything breaks the right way, uh, to use a baseball metaphor, we're rounding third on this thing. Yeah. Um, 
who knows whether that's the case. I mean, there's still a lot of questions to answer, obviously, and um, people have a lot of anxiety and apprehension as well they should. But uh, baseball, at least for me, man, it, it, it's very significant, the return of the game. And I'm always, uh, after a long season, when it takes up a lot of time away from home and away from Amy and um, away from family, there's always a brief period of time where I'm like, ah, maybe that was it. You know, maybe I'll, I'll bow out now and let somebody else get a chance to do this amazing thing. Uh, but then, you know, I get into January and February and I start feeling the warm weather returning and see it right around the corner. And I'm like, mm, I got to go back. Right. You know, there's, there's something about the game, something about this team, the stadium, the fans uh, that's just always going to keep me. Uh, it's always going to feel like a part of, of who I am and what I do. Oh, that's awesome, man. Um, so I, I don't want to give another question. I don't even know if this is a good question or not, honestly, but <laughs> do you ever get to travel with the team? I know you wouldn't go and work at another stadium, but do you ever get to travel with them? I can't even go in the clubhouse, man. You think they're going to let me travel <laughs> with them? That's uh, a good point. Well, let me, let yeah, me, no. we'll, we'll cut that part out. I'll ask you a different question. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> what's, um, what's your second question? <laughs> yeah. Do you feel, and I do want to move on and get it. Yeah. We definitely want to give that its due also. When you're about to announce a legend's name, right? Like I'm from New Jersey originally, grew up a big Yankees fan. I know I'm I'm an Orioles guy now. Ooh. I know, but I, I when you were talking about the Yankees calls, I remember like listening to the fan like the Yankees win, right? Um, when you get to announce a guy like Derek Jeter, or you get to announce, I don't know Mariano Rivera, and I keep throwing out Yankee names, but do you feel an extra weight when you're announce somebody like that versus never 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 with a Yankee? Okay. That makes sense. Uh, no, I'm just, I'm, I'm just <laughs> insert, kidding. No, 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 I mean, I, I had, look, I, I had, I, we had Jeter's last game. Yeah. You know, That's it was, interesting, I, yeah. yeah, we, um, I, we had one of Mariano's last pitching performances, uh, because he, he was going to go on the road and then wasn't going to, he was going to try to play the outfield, I think at one point. And I mean, there was, so the answer is, yeah, you know, I'm, I'm a, I'm an Orioles fan for sure. But I think I'm, I'm an even bigger fan of the game and historian right. of the game. Uh, so there have been a couple of times where you get to announce certain things that are just incredibly meaningful. Um, big league debuts. I mentioned, you know, those are huge. I, I got Manny Machado's, which I, I think everybody kind of saw yeah. what kind of player he was going to be. Right. Um, but then you see some of these guys coming through and you know, it's their last season. Um, yeah. I mean, Jeter's was so big. And I mean, I grew up watching him, you know, I, I, he had broken my heart multiple times. Uh, he hit the ball that Jeffrey Mayer caught in right field at Yankee mm -hmm. Stadium in the playoffs all those years ago. And so that even, even with that, I understood the gravity of that. And I even asked my, my bosses if I could do the Bob Shepard thing, his last at bat for us I, at, at Oriole park, I wanted to announce him as, you know, your attention, please, ladies and gentlemen, now batting shortstop number two, Derek Jeter, number two. I wanted to do the whole shepherd thing. Right. I was shot down. Uh, oh, no. but, yeah. I mean, I, I think that um, there, and you, you understand the gravity of certain things. You know, the, the last time I got to announce Adam Jones, yeah, when it was clear that he wasn't going to be back. I mean, that guy meant so much to this city at a time right. when, you know, he, the team was in the absolute depths of a 14 consecutive season losing streak. And he was kind of the centerpiece that started you know, the, the, the started fanning the flames of the idea that the Orioles could be a winning team again. Um, there's a, yeah. I mean, you can't, you can't help but notice those moments. You can't help but notice the history of that. Ryan. So like you're saying, you know, you understand the gravity, you understand the gravity. 
are there any situations, you know, you get to see all these firsthand, are there any situations you kind of, you know, witness you're a part of, and then you go home or a couple of weeks later, you just didn't actually realize the magnitude of until later? Uh, yeah. Um, the game two of the American League Division Series in 2014, uh, when the Orioles won the game, there was the situation that, I, I mean, if you guys are even casual baseball fans, you'll remember Delman Young pinch hitting, hitting the ball down the left field line. The Orioles scored three runs. The last guy to cross the plate was Hardy, who no one ever accused of being swift. Uh, <laughs> and I, I'll never forget because the first rule of the press box is there's no cheering. Uh-huh. You don't cheer. You don't show emotion. I mean, that's, that's for the fans in the stands. And these are, you know, for the most part, the people in the press box are the press. They are supposed to be unbiased. Uh, and that was probably the most challenging moment I've had with that, uh, because Delman Young comes up and the place is going absolutely bonkers and it was packed. And anyone that ever had any questions about whether or not Baltimore was a great baseball town, that's exhibit a, uh, and he connects on the first pitch. And what I'll remember is, and again, being open to the elements, right? Uh, he connects with the ball and there's a huge cheer. And then as the ball is traveling down the left field line, the crowd hushes and then the ball drops and then it goes crazy. And then each time a run scored, there was like another level of, and when Hardy crossed the plate, they called him safe. I have never experienced anything that loud. And if I had had a, a, you know, I didn't have an Apple watch at the time, but if I had had an Apple watch on, uh, my pulse was probably somewhere around 160. Like I was, and, and, and I was like white knuckling the desk in front of me (laughs) because in my, you know, my natural reaction to that is to stand up and scream and shout and do everything that every, all 47,000 other people were doing, but you're in the press box and it's so eerie. Right. It's so strange. So that one, that was one when I realized it's sort of in the moment. Um, You know, you, you, you don't realize when you've announced somebody's last at bat sometimes Right. where a player doesn't come back or, you know, you expect them to be back, but then they get traded or something like that. Uh, the Jones thing I think will always stick with me because he was a guy that I first met when I was in the fan cave. And so I sort of grew up in my role with the Orioles as he grew up in his role. Um, so he, I, I'll always feel kind of a connection to, to Jones. Um, and then some of the things for me that will always stand out uh, are, are doing some of the charitable work and things that we do sure. behind the scenes. You know, Chris Davis is somebody that Oriole fans have loved to, uh lampoon a bit unfortunately because what's gone on the last couple years uh but i don't think anyone uh would have anything bad to say about that guy if they were aware of the work that he's done that he and jill his wife have done um they are just two of the best people i know and the work that they do for uh particularly for for the pediatric uh work that university of maryland does um my goodness just uh they they are incredible people and baltimore is very fortunate that he ended up here uh, so those are the kind of things, the behind the scenes stuff, working with these guys on some of the events. I have the ability, again, through my theater background to make players who aren't necessarily comfortable in front of a camera or in front of a crowd. I have an ability to make them comfortable and to, to create a relationship with them so that they are uh, the most engaging, most comical, enjoying themselves. And so because of that, that's a better experience for the fans. And I think I've been able to provide a lot of value to the Orioles uh, by doing that over the years. And, and those personal interactions are something that I think I'll always think about. That's awesome, man. That's really cool. Those are great stories. It was. Yeah, that, that's really cool, man. Thanks um, for sharing. Yeah. All right. Let's, we want to we wanna spend some time on Guinness because I know like you guys are probably in the thick of things right now. So, we are um, I mean, like, look, obviously, like we've been there before. The place is incredible. 
Um, I mean, I can only imagine how difficult, you know, it was going through this past year. And, um, I mean, if you want to talk about it, we can, but, you know, I, I think we could also focus on more positive stuff too. So what do you guys have going on? What's, what's gearing up for St. Patty's day? Tell us, tell us what's in the current works right now. Yeah. So, um, well, first we of all, are, sorry, uh, I, I don't want to inter interrupt you. Sorry. Let me back up a second. What you're the national ambassador. So tell, give us, yeah. give us a brief, uh, description there of what you do. It's a great job because nobody yeah. knows what I do. So they're right. afraid to yeah. pay me. Uh, I think that's, that's the bottom line. Um, but it's a great gig. You know, I, I, I work, uh, the easiest way to describe what I do is my job is to, uh, make sure that the passion, the authenticity, the integrity, uh, of our history, our heritage, our beer, uh, is always evident, is always uh, is always doing what it's supposed to be doing. So I handle the training and education of our entire staff down here, uh, work with the brewers on beer quality. Um, I never give them ideas. Uh, right. I did once for a beer, and it was the weirdest beer we ever made, so I don't know that I'm allowed to give them ideas anymore. Fair enough. Um, but, uh, yeah, I mean, I, I, I touch a little bit of our business in uh, a little bit of each part of our business. So whether it's commercialization and getting the beers out into the world, working with the distributors and with the sales teams and with the the – bars and restaurants and liquor stores that carry them, making sure that everybody at every step of that process understands the beer, knows why it exists, knows how to tell the stories and, and knows how to sell it. Right. Um, and then also working with, with the, you know, with our fans, with the people that drink the beer and buy the beer, uh, making sure that they have the best experience that they have because what Guinness has long known and what I think even more so in 2020 and into 2021 has become really evident is that people are no longer drinking a beer or eating a food or visiting a restaurant or whatever it is, just to say they did that thing. Uh, what people are looking for more and more is an experience. They're looking mm -hmm. for something tangible. They're looking for something, forgive me for saying it, but Instagrammable. Um, they want something that is uh, going to make an impact and, and, and going to make, uh, going to be memorable, I guess. And so Guinness, Guinness knows how to do that to an unbelievable degree, uh, simply because we've been around for longer than just about any other brewery. So we can pull not just from 260 years of Guinness history in Ireland and across the world, but within that 260 year story, we're writing a very unique and individual chapter here in Baltimore that is the Open Gate Brewery and all the experiential beers, experimental beers and innovations that we're putting in place that may be uh, a bit of a surprise to, to really ardent Guinness fans. Um, but once they get here and try it out for a few minutes, the light bulb goes off and they're like, okay, yeah, I totally get what you guys are doing. That's interesting. I mean, you know, we were there that one night. I mean, we made like a whole, a whole thing of it, and yeah. I mean that place is, uh, man, that place is impressive. It, it is. I mean, just to to say it lightly, it is well worth the trip out there. It is, and I think know? we we got we went there with the intention of experiencing most of it, but then we had well, a couple of those flights. We had fun. That was that was our that was our first <laughs> mistake. Restaurant. Yeah, we had we had too much fun too soon. Yeah, and I think we uh we we owe it another visit to to really experience the Someday. the full tilt of it but um so what do you guys have going on coming up you know right now yeah this is uh tis the season the silly right. season as we say around here <laughs> um, you know it's 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 fun it it has an immense amount of advantages to be a part of a brewery that owns a day right. i mean that's what we do sure, uh, march yeah. 17th is our day i don't care what beer you drink on right. march 17th as they say everyone's irish right. and everyone's drinking guinness uh, so uh, for us this year, we wanted to create that same, again, level of experience that people have come to expect from us, but we wanted to space it out um, because we, as you guys, you know, you've been here before, we have an immense amount of space here. And so during COVID, we've had to really reassess our hospitality model, our right. staff, unbelievable in the way that they've handled all the curveballs that have been thrown at them. Um, but what I think we've created as a result is the safest space 
that anybody's got going right now. And that's not to disparage or in some way call out anybody else that's trying to make this work. We just have the natural benefit of having more room to spread out. So I think inherently our space is going to feel a little bit more comfortable with everything that we've got going on right now. Uh, but even within that, we understand that March 17th uh, holds a specific kind of draw for Guinness fans. They want to be here on the 17th. So it was our goal to create with the, within the entire month of March, every weekend and on Wednesday the 17th, you're going to get essentially the same experience. There are some elements that are changing, but every Thursday night is a movie night where you can sit out on our lawn and watch a movie. Uh, every Friday, there's going to be a beer release. Every Saturday, the same band is playing, so you don't have to miss, you know, you don't have to be here to see your favorite band. If 19th Street Band is who you want to hear, you can come any Saturday in March or on the 17th, and you're going to see them. Uh, and they're one of my favorite bands, so I'm looking forward to seeing them. And then every Sunday, Irish breakfast in the morning, a roast dinner at night, and in between, a little traditional Irish acoustic music. So that's every weekend in March and on the 17th, because again, we wanted people to feel like they could spread out, that they didn't have to be here one specific weekend, one specific mm -hmm. day. Uh, you know, every Friday is a different beer release. Every Sunday is a different roast dinner. Every Thursday is a different movie. So there are elements that are changing every weekend, but the spirit of the weekends, the spirit of the activities that are going on are all the same. That's awesome. Yeah. That's a great idea. It really is. Yeah. So you're, you're changing the beer every Friday. Are you able... Is that the only, obviously it's not the only one you can order, but can you go back and order last week's beer? Or is that going to be sort of the oh, running for sure. for the, yeah. Yeah. Those, those beers that we're releasing on the Fridays of the month are not the only beers that we'll have. I mean, right now I think our top list is 17 or 18 beers. Uh, so we're just supplementing that with the new beers that are coming out. Gotcha. Uh, so in addition to all of the stuff that we'll already be making, number one, we're going to bring back the historic Dublin brews that we don't mm. typically carry. So Harp, Smithix and Kilkenny. Um, which have been around for a long time and people identify them as being, excuse me, part of the Irish experience. If they don't always realize that they're Guinness brewed beers, yeah. some people don't realize that. Um, but then in addition to those, uh, the two beers this weekend are going to be available in draft and in cans. And that's a barrel aged mint chocolate stout and the return of a beer called Irish breakfast tea amber, which is an amber ale brewed with Irish breakfast tea. The mint chocolate stout is, uh, that's a that's a beer and a half, man. That's eleven point nine percent alcohol, bourbon barrel aged. <laughs> I would that give one, through, that I would through half. <laughs> right. This is yeah. Th this is an amazing time to remind people to always drink responsibly, and I mean that yeah. sincerely. That's the most yeah. important message right. we have today, every day. Um, so yeah. that's this weekend. Next weekend is our honey ale, which uses local honey made by Apex Apiary. Uh, that's been around yes. for a couple of years now. We bring that back every year, and that's a fan favorite. The weekend after that is black currant stout which is, again, similar uh, to Honey Ale. We release it every year. And then the last Friday uh, is going to be the third beer in an allyship series that we've been doing for the last three months and will continue for three additional months where we're working with um, people in the BIPOC community to elevate voices and ideas and to create equal representation for everybody within our brewery, within the beer that we make. So the first one was two months ago, and that was with uh, two BIPOC influencers on Instagram from Baltimore, Black Beer Geek, which is Courtney Holden, and then Curly Craft Beer Traveler, which is Jackie Wansey. They're both very good friends of Holly Stevenson, our head brewer. Now I would consider them good friends of mine. Very fortunate to say that. Uh, but they came in and collaborated with Holly on a beer called See Us, which was a beer, a brown ale with roasted sweet potatoes that we roasted in-house, nutmeg, cinnamon, allspice, and vanilla. 
Hmm. So it was like a sweet potato pie inspired beer. Right. Uh, we just released one two weeks ago that was brewed with a really diverse group of our staff members here called Station at 601, which was a black IPA brewed with tangerine. And the name of the beer comes from a train station that once stood at 601 South President in the city, which uh, the train station is no longer there, but it was a key waypoint on the Underground Railroad. Interesting. Pretty neat that I, I knew nothing so about cool, them. Yeah. And then uh, the next one coming out is going to be a lemon pound cake inspired beer. Uh, and that one was brewed with uh, a woman named Alicia January, who on Instagram is Discover Charm City, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, so again, just trying to do our best to elevate uh, these voices that too often aren't heard in the beer space sure, yeah. Um, yeah. and to create a space where, you know, not not only are we elevating those voices and elevating the visibility of BIPOC voices and BIPOC ideas, but also we want this to be a space where those uh, people in those communities feel comfortable and feel welcome and feel represented. Uh, so we've been working very hard to uh, to be a platform for change, to be a to be an engine for change. And um, it, you know, 2020 into 2021, there was a lot going on in the world, man. I, I don't know that many people yeah. could claim to have dealt with a more tumultuous year, but um, I'm very proud of Guinness for the fact that in spite of a pandemic that had shut us down, uh, we saw how important that year was going to be and continues to be uh, in terms of the social uprising that was going on. So we've committed a million dollars to Baltimore City uh, working with and, and sort of the surrounding area, working with a few different organizations that we've pinpointed. Uh, Maryland Food Bank uh, for people mm -hmm. with food insecurity, which is a huge problem in the BIPOC right. community. Uh, the beers from the allyship collaboration that I just mentioned are going to JOTF, which is the Job Opportunities Task Force. They work primarily with BIPOC communities to elevate people in low income jobs into higher earning jobs, uh, which is, you know, again, economic equality is, is, a, is a very underrepresented part of this equation. Um, we're working with uh, BALT, the Baltimore Action Legal Team, which works uh, to support the legal rights of people arrested during social uprisings uh, and protests. Uh, we're working with the Reginald F. Lewis Museum, which is a gem that I don't think enough so people in Baltimore an realize. Awesome place. Right yeah. there. It is yeah. right there at the yeah. end of 83, right at President Street. Um, so we're working with, with uh, the Lewis Museum, and they are an incredibly passionate group of people. And you think a museum is just a bunch of stuff hanging on a wall that you go right. walk through. But these guys are like holding workshops to teach anti-racist policy or anti-racist um, uh, workshops for parents raising children who want sure. them to be anti-racist uh, members of society. Uh, they're working with teachers to, to give them access to digital uh, resources so that they can communicate some of the Lewis's work into their classroom. I mean, it's unbelievable the work that they're doing. So spreading out that million dollars as much as we can, working with Visit Baltimore on a diversity internship program to try to bring more uh, BIPOC voices and faces into the hospitality and tourism space. Uh, so it's it's a very multifaceted program that we're building, but uh, I'm really proud to be sitting on the uh, sitting with the group of people that's that's trying to make a difference. That's awesome. It's and we talked about this right. last week with with Sean Hearn. We we interviewed the director of the Babe Ruth Museum last week, um, and we brought this up too. When you have local businesses, and I'm lumping the Guinness in there now as you know as the Baltimore base. When you have local businesses reaching out into the community and really putting their mark and their voice and their power behind these causes, you can really start to see quick change and really influential change. But it, it requires big names like Guinness to get in here and start doing it. So it's really cool to hear that you guys are doing that. Yeah, I, I think it requires, I, I agree with you, you know, that there is a way to, um, 
it is hard to put focus on issues like this uh, unless you have that platform established. Mm -hmm. But what I will also say is that one thing that we've taken a hard look at and really understood was that we have a platform, yes, but our job shouldn't be to use that platform to make our opinions heard. Our job right. has to be to elevate the people that need to be heard using our platform and then to get the hell out of the way and let them be heard. Awesome. Uh, because I think too often um, there are a lot of companies and a lot of businesses and a lot of, uh, a lot of great ideas that I think come from good places. But unfortunately, I think that there are an innumerable amount of people uh, who are having trouble getting the right words and the right messages out. And if we can identify those people and work with organizations that help us elevate those people, I think that that's the best way to do this because change is going to happen from within those communities because we're the ones that need to do learning. You know, we, we're the ones that need to step back and take a hard look and figure out the best way forward uh, to, to be a part of the change as opposed to being in the way of it. Right. And what a great thing knowing that some of our dollars being spent, you know, yeah. Guinness are going to help these great causes. Yeah. Um, cool, man. Well, look, we don't want to keep you all day. We know that you're a busy guy. Um, we, we appreciate, I guess the only other thing we want to ask you about is, you know, I, I can grow a killer beard. Mark has some trouble, but your beard <laughs> is, your beard is like, um, I don't know if to be, if I should be jealous or worried like about, you know, like that's, that's a beard, man. Yeah, what's what's walk, going on with walk that? through the manicuring process. What's like, the grooming? This is, like? this is, this is probably four months. That's it. Four months. I think see, four or five months. Yeah. I don't so know if you can see the beard <laughs> I have going on. This, this is four months too, man. I got, to but him. I, yeah. so, and this is like, this is very trimmed. Like it's very, huh. it, like I keep it kind of, I try to keep it close. I am. Um, yeah. I mean, I, I, you know, I had a beard at 11. I think I, you know, <laughs> I, if, you, if you think, unfortunately, you know, I, I don't know if Amy is going to watch this, but I, th if you think this is a lot of hair, I, you should see the rest of me. You know, I, I mean, I'm like, I, dude, we should, we should probably end it there. Look, when you work in craft beer, you better have a beard, man. I mean, yeah, I, I guess so. Prerequisite. Yeah. Do you wear, do you wear that and suspenders? Sorry. I don't, a but I, I say that I say that you should have a beard if you work in craft beer. If Holly Stevenson, our head brewer, was listening to this right now, she would come through this computer and have some words with me. Yeah. So it is not a prerequisite. Yeah. By the yeah. Way. Sure. Okay. Um, good, that makes sense. Everything we no, just no, talked no, about. Yeah. 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 I think that uh, I think that this beard for me, it's partly laziness. Anybody that has yeah. a beard knows that. Um, but also, uh, I like to switch it up, man. I mean, I, I was I, in October, I got rid of all of it and started from scratch and, um, yeah, you know, it's fun. Keep people guessing. Why not? Sure. Okay. I, I have two and they can be quick answers. If you, if you've got to run Yep. two last Guinness questions, one, does it really taste better in Ireland than it does over here? Two, can you walk through the appropriate pouring procedure because it's very controversial you need to pour a, a yeah. pint of guinness correctly right well it, yeah well the first part i will tell you is that uh it is not called guinness the beer you're talking about is guinness draft stout unfortunately uh guinness has almost become victims of that <laughs> idiot no no, Sorry. No. And, and, no 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 you're fine and the reason i point that out is because in many ways guinness has become victims of that beer's success you know it's right. kind of like cleanup People say, can you hand me a Kleenex? Like, no, I can hand you a tissue because these aren't Kleenex. Yeah, it's a brand, right? it's, it's a brand name. It's a brewery. So when you walk into, if you walk into our brewery here and you walk up to the bar and ask for a Guinness, our bartenders have been trained by me to ask which one you mean, because every beer that we pour here is technically a Guinness. Right. What sure. you're talking yeah. about is Guinness dressed out. So we don't have enough time to answer the does it taste different in Ireland. What I will tell you is this, there is no difference whatsoever in the beer that is in the kegs in Ireland versus the beer that's here. It's made in the same brewery, in the same tanks, packaged the same way. It is identical in every way. What is different are two things. Number one, 
where you drink it and how those uh, people or that bar chooses to take care of their lines, their glassware, their faucets, right. their draft system overall. In Ireland, we have the legal ability to maintain the draft systems of every bar that pours our beer. Oh, wow. We do that. Right. Here in this country, it is it, that is not legally possible. Right. Because technically, once the beer is sold to a distributor, we no longer own it. It's no longer ours. In Ireland, that beer is ours until it's in someone else's stomach, basically. Uh, so that part becomes a challenge. But number two, and I think it's the biggest component of this, number two is beer is experiential, as I was talking about earlier. So if your pint of Guinness Draft comes with a trip to Ireland, a visit to one of the world's oldest pubs, banjo music, a sheep walking through the bar, <laughs> right. and everything else, and the last pint that you had before <laughs> right. you left was at an airport bar at the terminal, chances are the one that sure. you had in Ireland tastes better. Yeah. But what I will tell everybody that thinks that the beer tastes better in Ireland, come see us here at the brewery, talk to one of our staff members, get the full experience, and gotcha. if it still tastes different, then maybe we can have a talk. But there yeah. is no difference in liquid. And then in terms of the two-part pour, Guinness Draft Stout is poured in two parts because historically Guinness beer was sent to bars and pubs in two barrels. One oh. cask was a lively, like a lively, bright, fresh cask from the brewery. And the second barrel was one that we matured and aged to give it a bit of tartness, to give it a bit of body, to give it a bit of, uh, to give it a bit more character. And so the proper Guinness pour was to first put in the glass that lively, bright beer, which was very foamy and very frothy, and then to top the beer up hmm. with that flat or stale or aged version of the beer. And so you had that mixture, which meant that the lively foam was going to sit right on the top and stay there the whole time you drank it. When we started, uh, when we created Guinness Draft Stout, the beer that everybody knows and loves, that beer wasn't, uh, didn't debut until 1959. Our brewery was founded in 1759. So that beer is not nearly as old as people think it is. And the reason it came about when it did is because gas-powered draft systems started to proliferate around the world. And when they did, all of a sudden, that two-cask system was obsolete. We needed to figure out a way to create that same experience, to create that same flavor profile, and maybe most importantly, the appearance of that thick, creamy head on the beer the entire time you drank it, but do it from a powered draft system. And so the work went in, and what we figured out, thanks to the work of a guy named Michael Ash, was that nitrogen being a less dense, less excitable gas than CO2 or carbonation could create that or mimic that same effect through a draft system. So nitrogenated beers or nitro beers were born at Guinness with Guinness Draft Stout in 1959. That beer made it across to the U.S. in 1966. And the rest is history. That's the beer for most people that is the one and only true Guinness. And we try to dispel that rumor every day here at the brewery. That's awesome. Wow. All, See, my mistake led to a, a history lesson. Dude, there's there's a lot of education on this one. This so. was good. All right, man. Well, listen, I really appreciate you uh, taking the time for us today. Yeah. Thank you so much. Yeah, for no I appreciate um, it, man. You guys stay safe out there. And uh, Quincy, I, I got to talk to you, man. It's it, If I'm selling my house, man, it's got to be now. Everything I read, dude, it's time to well, go. You can only sell if you got some place to go, though. <laughs> no, bro, I'm, moving, I'm, moving in, I'm moving in with the in-laws. After I told you, after what people it, are getting on our street in it, Hamden, I'm ready. It, hey, I'm moving to somebody's basement. If that's the case, I'll rent you my basement. You sell your house, you can rent my basement. Yeah. <laughs> there you go. I, I told I told Amy to pack her stuff, man. I'm ready. Let's go. That's funny. <laughs> that's hilarious. We'll talk, man. All right, hey guys, stay safe, man. Absolutely. See ya. Thank you. Hey everyone, thanks for taking the time to listen to the podcast. Fucking <laughs> 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 okay, Mike Tyson. <laughs> All right. <laughs> hey everyone. Thanks for taking the time to listen to the podcast. Make sure you follow us on social media. Check us out on searchbemore.com and subscribe to the podcast. 
and all future content yes. is available to you. Yes. If you subscribe. Perfect. Do it. Thank you. Good See job. You. Bye.